Good morning, fellowship. How are we doing this morning? The sun is shining. That's a good thing, right? Hey, we're glad you're here together, and, and more and more it seems to happen that we are able to gather together shoulder to shoulder and face to face. And what I mean by that is we gather together on Sunday mornings shoulder to shoulder to worship God and to hear the Word of God taught, study the Word of God together. And then, then we scatter throughout the week. We don't come back here. We scatter into conference rooms and, and coffee shops and, and living rooms all over Northwest Arkansas where we turn face to face, right? And that, that's where we pray together and we study God's word together and we process life together. And if that interests you, we would love to have you be a part of one of our small groups and you can, you can join one really easy. Stop by the center booth in the foyer, scan this code and let us know you wanna be a part of it. Um, we'd love to get you plugged in. As a matter of fact, if you're new this morning, We'd love to get you plugged in. You can do the same thing. Scan this QR code, zoom in on it, um, fill out the form that says I'm new, or stop by the center booth in the foyer. We'll schedule a time to grab coffee and just answer any questions. We would love to get you plugged in here at Fellowship, and we're so glad that you're here this morning. Hey, May is for a couple things. May's for moms, right? Last week, everybody did a good job. May is also for graduates. You may have seen, if you've been looking on, online, there's lots of graduations going on. And so every year, FSM, Fellowship Student Ministries, so ninth through 12th grade ministry, um, they, they recognize the graduating high school seniors. And they did the same thing this year, and it's really a sweet time. They, they gather together, they laugh, they cry, they tell stories. And what you have to understand is many of these groups have been together for six, seven, eight years a lot of their leaders have been with them. They've been with them through middle school and through high school. They deserve a prize, right? And these leaders are incredible. These students are incredible. And they have a, they have a fun time together. And, and parents of young children, here's what you need to pay attention to. This is what you want of your kids as they're graduating where they spent time in a small group with lead, college student leaders and, and young adult leaders who have, who have impacted these kids' lives. And that's what you want. Well, we want to recognize graduating seniors today, not only high school, but also college and graduate school. So if you are a senior graduating on any level, if you are a family member of a senior, would you stand up and just let us clap for you and say, well done? Let's say well done to those families. Go ahead, stand up. We're so proud of you. Good job. What a great, great time of life. Hey, there's a lot going on at Fellowship right now. One of the things, we've got some in-person classes starting back. Um, a couple classes that you need to know about. The first one is Align. And you may have seen Don Reed up here on stage with Mickey a few weeks ago talking about uh, generosity. And so Align has to, deal, to do with just lining up your heart with the, with the heart of God towards finances. And Don does a great job. It's a, it's a fun class. And he doesn't try to tell you what to do. He just points you to the scriptures. And if that interests you, you can sign up online. Second class. Um, there's also another class called Personal Bible Study. And so if you're new to fellowship, maybe you've taken Discover, maybe you've never really learned how to study the Bible, this would be a great class to take. And here's the cool thing. We've got a guy teaching it named Terry Weedle. And Terry lived his whole adult life until now overseas. And you know what he did as a missionary? He taught people to study the Bible. And he's going to do it here with us. And so it's, good. it's a really fun class. I encourage you to take it. You can sign up online. It begins June 6th and runs throughout the summer. Hey, today's a special day. We are starting a new series in the book of Hebrews where fellowship 
Bible church. We love to study through books of the Bible. And so for the whole summer through the end of July, we'll be studying through the book of Hebrews, and it's going to be awesome. And on, online, fellowshiprogers.org forward slash Hebrews, you can find resources. There's a devotional guide online. There's an introduction to the book of Hebrews online. Um, you can download the PDF for free, or you can stop by the booth in the foyer. You can purchase the devotional guide. And that will take you through the week time, your devotionals, your Bible readings. Um, you can purchase that for $5, a hard copy, get it online for free. And we'd love to have you tune into that. We'll still produce the discussion guides for small groups every week. But this devotional guide will, will, will kind of ride through. the re Actually, if you do it, you'll have read the whole book of Hebrews during that time. As we enter into this time of Hebrews, here's what I think we're going to see. We're going to see the exalting of Jesus Christ. We're going to see the superiority of Jesus Christ, that he's, he's superior above angels. He's superior above priests. He's superior above any institution. And we see this at 11 times in the book. It says that Jesus is superior to something or he's better than something. It's going to be a fun, fun summer, and we hope you'll, you'll tune in and join us, uh, whether online, if you can't be here in person, or in person. Hey, would you pray with me as I start the service? Lord, we're so grateful we get to be here and worship you. Lord, we pray that you would just help us to focus in on you right now and your son, Jesus. We thank you that he's not only our redeemer and savior, he's also our high priest and our king. He's the Lord of lords and the king of kings, and we're so grateful for that. We pray all these things in his name, amen. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of 
of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You see, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! Would you stand and sing with us? Praise him, we sing.
lift our voices, we sing. All praise. All praise to the Lord most high. All praise to the one who saved my life. All praise to Jesus Christ, high King of heaven, my King forever. You stormed the gates in my heart.
I just want to invite you to join me, to lift your voice loud, lift it high as we celebrate Jesus Christ, our Savior, our hope. Would you sing with me as we sing these words? Christ alone.
you remain standing in honor of the reading of God's word? Hebrews 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for the sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Amen. 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 Feel free to have a seat and good morning. You know, one of the, the groups of people that I have been invited into in Bentonville, where I live, is uh, folks from this body who have been committed for several years to praying for this church, for the greater community, for even revival in our nation. And they've been regular and faithful. And then the pandemic hit. And being that most of them were of an age where the pandemic was even made them more vulnerable, you would think the prayer meeting would shut down until they opened up a Zoom account and it grew. You know, I got to tell you, there's something about Zoom meetings and Microsoft Team meetings that just kind of suck the life out of you. Is that right? Not this one. Not this one. It's been so rich and invigorating, and I am so grateful for the faithful gathering of God's people around the, around the basics of what bring the Christian life uh, so lively. Hey, we're launching into a uh, series on the book of Hebrews, as John said this morning. Hebrews is a challenging book. Deep truths about who Jesus is and, and what he does for us. And these deep truths will actually lay a, a pretty deep foundation for our faith as well. We are going to fly through this book. Uh, in 10 weeks, we're going to cover 13 chapters. And so I want to echo what John's already said. Use the Hebrews devotional guide. It will slow it down for you to read it verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, all the way through the book. Use it in your community groups for discussion questions to begin to talk through what this book brings us. I'm going to do a flyover of an overview of the book. Hebrews is a unique book. It begins like a sermon, but it ends like a letter. What I mean by that is you'll see even this morning, it is going to come thundering out of the gates like a masterful sermon, trying to do two things, both challenge and instruct us. But then towards the end of the book, it's going to turn personal, kind of the way the New Testament letters tend to turn. You'll see that there's no to and there's no from in this book. What that means is we have an unknown author and an unidentified audience. So you're going to hear us refer often to the writer to the Hebrews or the writer of the Hebrews. And you'll start to find that that feels fatiguing. The reason we say that is we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Some will say that it's got to be Paul because the theology that you're going to find in that book is very much like Paul, as well as the writer seems to know Timothy and he knows Judaism really well, which Paul does. 
Others will say, "Uh uh-uh, it's got to be Apollos. Apollos was known in uh, the book of Acts as a Jew who was very eloquent. Hebrews is actually a masterful book of Greek rhetoric. Some would say the high watermark of Greek writing in the New Testament. Others will tell you, nope, it's Peter. Maybe Silas, maybe Luke, maybe Barnabas. You'll have others say it's Priscilla, Aquila's wife. And that the reason she didn't put her name on it is that would have been controversial in the day for a woman to write a book of scripture. Can we just all acknowledge what we need to know up front? The truth is we don't know who wrote the letter to the Hebrews. An early church father, Origen, said that only God knows who wrote Hebrews. But I think we could confidently add at least one thing. We know who else wrote Hebrews. The Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's job, in fact, his joy, is to put spotlight on the Son of God. And you will see this book putting such a bright light on Jesus Christ that it will show him to be impeccable. And the Spirit will do his job uh, through his word. In fact, I almost wonder if it's only fitting that no author puts his name on this letter. Because the only main character in this letter is Jesus Christ. He takes center stage. How about the audience? It's written to Jewish Christians from a Jew. We know that because it's saturated with a thorough knowledge of the Old Testament. In fact, Hebrews has the the most quotations from the Old Testament of any of the New Testament letters. And the author is very familiar uh, with Judaism, and he actually assumes that his readers are very familiar with the Jewish faith as well. He doesn't even mention Gentile Christians in this letter. And so it seems to be this is a Jewish body of followers of Jesus, what you and I sometimes in our culture call Messianic Jews or sometimes completed Jews. It's written to a specific body of believers, I believe, who are losing confidence in the faith because it's going to describe how to follow church leadership and how the church should assemble together. But it seems like this church has fallen on some discouraging times. They've been converted to Christianity out of Judaism, and the going's gone tough, and they're wondering if it's worth it. And many in the church have already dropped out and defected. And so the author steps in to shore up their faith, and he does something way more than just talk about something. He, he puts his focus on someone because there's only one who can shore up the faith of the followers. I think possibly this was written to second generation Christians because chapter 13 seems to indicate that their leaders have passed off of the scene, that they've already passed away, and that now this second generation of believers is starting to waver as things got difficult. That's why the message, the Hebrews, is twofold. And you're going to see this over and over, not only in the sermons, but also in the devotional guide. You're going to see that the key message is that Jesus Christ is supreme and his gospel is worth everything. In fact, you'll see words like better, perfect, superior, over and over again. And not only is Jesus' gospel worth everything, it's worth anything to hold to it. And so the second message you're going to hear over and over in is persevere. You'll see phrases like in chapter 6 that say, let us press on to maturity. 
You'll see phrases in chapter 12 that say, let us run the race with endurance. So if those are the bullet points behind the book of Hebrews, and for those of us that aren't as motivated by bullet points, could we tell a story about what it must have been like to receive that letter for the first time? The year is 65 AD. Antonius sat alone in a second-story apartment located in a slum in Rome. He ate his dinner of bread and vegetables and a cup of sour wine. Antonius lit a small oil lamp and watched the hungry roaches scamper back to their dark corners in the wall. In the apartment next door, a, a baby cried. The infant's father screamed obscenities at the infant's mother. Somewhere in the muddy street below, a centurion barked orders to a unit of Roman soldiers. Antonius sat alone thinking about his day. That morning, his employer, a rough, burly man named Brutus, once again ridiculed this young Christian. The verbal jabs had become as annoying as the gnats in the shopkeeper's pungent store. Brutus was big, obnoxious, and cruel. Antonius wished he could strike back rather than turn the other cheek. Yet he bit his lip, swallowed his wounded pride, and once again asked the Lord for forgiveness for his thoughts. Persecution of the church in Rome had yet to result in martyrdom, but ever since the expulsion of the Jews under Emperor Claudius, Christians had been harassed by both Jews and pagans. Some suffered imprisonment, beatings, and the seizure of their property. In fact, Antonius' own grandfather, a ruler of the synagogue, had been one of the most outspoken opponents of the Christians. And when at age 17, Antonius converted to Christianity, the old man declared that Antonius was now dead to the whole family. In the recent months, abuse of the church had escalated and now emotional fatigue was taking its toll. Antonius had been told of the cost of following the Messiah, but somehow this was worse than he could have expected. In the beginning, he thought his joy would never be broken. And he would always feel the presence of God. He'd been taught that the Lord, the righteous judge, would vindicate this new covenant people. But the church had been taking a terrible beating lately. And members of its various house groups had become discouraged and were questioning whether Christ was really in control. Some, in their disillusionment, doubted and left the church altogether. Antonius remembered the traditions of the synagogue, the support of his Jewish community, the joy of the, of the festivals, and the celebration of the Jewish calendar. And while he appreciated his fellowship in this new community of Christ followers, he genuinely missed the traditions of his ancestors, and he missed his family. And to make matters worse, he was one of the poorer members of the church. When Antonius became a Christian, he lost his job as a tailor's apprentice in the Jewish quarter. He now spent his days sorting rotting produce, sweeping the floor, swatting flies, and receiving orders from obnoxious Roman slaves shopping for their rich mistresses. Yes, to be poor and a Christian just meant a double dose of ridicule. Antonius had missed going to his house church's weekly worship and meal for the past two weeks. 
and his heart had cooled somewhat toward the little group. A spiritual itch in the back of his spirit warned him about this loss of perspective, yet in recent days, he began to snuff those thoughts from his mind as quickly as they came. Antonius' bitterness over his current circumstances was growing and slowly clouding out the truth of the gospel. That night, the believers were to meet for worship and encouragement. And rumor had it that the leaders had received a document from back east somewhere. And although Antonius was discouraged and tempted to skip another church meeting, his curiosity was aroused and he decided to travel the short distance to the neighborhood house where the fellowship met. Entering the gathering room, he greeted several friends and the hostess offered him something to drink. When the meal was finished, the group's leader, a good and godly man of almost 70 years, finally arrived. Joseph was a bit out of breath, having come from a meeting with the other leaders halfway across the city. He was visibly moved as he stood smiling before this little church of about 20 believers. And after a few words of introduction, Joseph took a deep breath and he explained with a, with a twinkle in his eye that he had talked the other leaders into allowing his group the first reading of this scroll. The elder said with joy, I believe you will find this quite relevant. And then he unrolled the first part of the scroll and began reading with vigor. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Hebrews chapter one, verses one through four is one long run-on sentence in the original Greek. By the way, that's why some people conclude it was Paul. He's the king of the run-on sentence. 72 glorious words are gonna be strung together and they're gonna spotlight who the main character is. Hebrews opens like the book of Genesis, which a Jew would have called his Hebrew Bible, just the same way that it opened. Genesis opens with the phrase, in the beginning, God created. Hebrews opens with, in the past, God spoke. What's the first noun? Yeah. And the first noun tells you who the main character is. You know, there's an old joke that says that a cat and a dog live in the same house. The dog wakes up every morning and says, my master loves me. He feeds me, he pets me, he lets me out, he plays with me. He must be God. The cat wakes up in the very same house and says, my master loves me. He feeds me, he pets me, he plays with me, he lets me out. I must be God. <laughs> and every local church is a small kennel of cats and dogs gathered together. And every believer's heart, at least the honest and courageous believers, will look inside mine chief among them and see that it's a small house of cat and dog living inside. We are prone to forget who the main character of our story is. And we get up every day with the same temptation that your neighbor gets up with, to live with a story of me and mine and I. And the moments we live in a, for a low bar story like that, 
is the moment that our soul stops to flourish. For we have been created by a creator who wants to step onto the center stage of our lives and call us to live for he and him and his. And Hebrews calls us to that. Look what this God, the main character, does. He speaks. In fact, the writer says he spoke at many times and in various ways. And every Jewish reader would have already known that. They knew their history as a small child. They know that God spoke to Moses in a burning bush and to Joseph in a dream. God spoke to Daniel in a, in a vision, but Elijah in a whisper. He spoke to Job in a whirlwind. And then turned around and spoke to Samuel with a quiet voice. God spoke to Hosea through his family circumstances. He spoke to Joshua through an angel, through Balaam, through a donkey. God spoke to Israel through cloud by day and pillar of fire at night, through ceremonies and feasts, through sacrifices and symbols, through offerings and washings, through sages and saints, through prophets, through poets. He spoke through battles and blessings. He spoke through prosperity and poverty. And yes, he even spoke through friend and foe. God was persistently speaking to his people. And it begs a question, doesn't it? Why? Why persistently speak? to people who are prone to turn a deaf ear. Do you like being toned, tuned out? The reason why God persistently, persistently speaks is because he is revealing himself. So that begs another question. Why would God reveal himself to us? And the answer is because God wants us to have a relationship with him. God reveals because God relates. I was a junior in high school when I walked into an algebra class that I had no interest in attending. Chose the desk right by the door because that's the quickest way out when the bell rings. And across the classroom next to the window was a really pretty girl. So I spent the next few weeks hoping that pretty girl would notice me. She didn't. Didn't even know I left a carbon footprint on the planet until I went up and spoke to her and found out her name was Lisa Parker, now known as Lisa Schatzman. God speaks because God invites relationship. And as you begin to open Hebrews over the next 10 weeks, you can choose to just treat this as data, instructions found in a computer manual, or you can choose to see this as the voice of God who reveals himself to you because he wants you to know him. We listen to the God who speaks. And he continues to say that he speaks most clearly, verse 2 says, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, which tells us that Jesus Christ is God's fullest revelation of himself. I know we get impressed with things like the Grand Tetons and the Grand Canyon. Look up, because Jesus Christ is God's fullest revelation to of himself. And in him, he invites the fullest experience of relationship 
with God. And for the next portion of this first sentence in Hebrew, the writer is gonna give us seven bold, quick-moving statements about who Jesus Christ is because he wants us to see something about this full and final revelation of him. He's telling us that until we know Jesus Christ and are squarely convinced of his magnificence, our faith will always be shaky, our hope will always be dim, but if you want to walk with bright hope for tomorrow and good cheer for today, as the hymn writer says, fix your eyes on the beauty of Jesus Christ. Let's continue the sentence. Verse two ends up by saying, he speaks to us in, by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he had made the universe. So the heir is also the creator. So Jesus owns all things and he made all things. The word universe there can also be translated ages or chapters, sometimes we say in our vernacular. And that tells us that not only did Jesus make all the stuff of the world you can see, he made all the chapters of human history that we experience. He doesn't just design a big watch and stand back. He keeps time, and the time moves ahead in all of its chapters, perfectly fulfilling his bigger, grander purpose, not just for nations and human history, but for individual followers. And so maybe this week you got a diagnosis, or you face a decision, or you're stuck in a dilemma. Yours is the God who is sovereign over every chapter of your life as much as he is sovereign over every chapter of human history. Fix your eyes upon him for hope. Colossians chapter one says that everything was made by Jesus and for Jesus and through Jesus, which simply tells me that all of time and matter and space exists for Jesus. So all of my story, in fact, all of history is his story. And verse three is gonna tell us that his story is actually a God story. Look at verse three. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Don't you see this means that in Jesus Christ, God spoke uniquely in ways that he had never spoken before and will never speak again because the message of God and the messenger of God come together in the same person. That means that Jesus is God in all ways. Jesus does not just deliver the word of God. He is the word of God. So the Apostle John, who I have to imagine was a friend of the writer of Hebrews, whoever he was, he begins his first sentence of his gospel this way. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Does that not sound very much like Hebrews? And he continues by saying, the Word became flesh. Ah, so this message is a person, a messenger. And he dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the, the one and only who came from the Father, 
What's he like? What's the message and the messenger like? He's full of grace and truth, which means his, his grace is true, but his truth is gracious. And he's full and comes and presents himself to us. Don't you see that Jesus Christ points us to God and he does that by pointing to himself. And so I wonder if one among us, at least, if not many, have struggled with questions or doubts about Christianity, whether you're here in person or online. Maybe you have seen a, something that a certain church or a certain Christian has done and said, and you're now very uncertain about Jesus. Could I plead with you? Look to Jesus. Look to the original, not the inadequate copies of them called his followers. Fix your eyes upon Jesus and move to the gold standard himself and see the fullness of his truth and grace. And maybe instead you, you are a follower of Jesus, but you've grown weaker in the faith. We would not be a normal church if we didn't see the strengths and the weaknesses in our body begin to rise and fall at times. Maybe your weakness shows up like apathy. Or if you could even be more honest with your spouse or a good friend or your community group, you would acknowledge that you're just quite bored with your faith. Look up. Fix your eyes on someone more magnificent. Move your eyes from just Christian living to the life of Christ himself, and he will capture your imagination and your affection. Or maybe you really are running strong right now in the faith. You, you can't explain it, but there's a vibrancy that's kind of percolating in your veins, and it, it just looks like love. You love God, and you're finding yourself with a supernatural ability to even love others around you. Can I plead with you? Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. For you will not be able to continue the race any other way. The writer to the Hebrews says in chapter 12, we run the race with endurance. How? By fixing our eyes on Christ, who is the beginning, the middle, and the end of our faith. Folks, Jesus is not just God-like. He is god and when we see Jesus, we see God. Verse 3 continues to tell us what God is like. He tells me he's strong. He says this Jesus is sustaining all things by his powerful word. You know, right now, God is actively involved in the big macro and in the small micro of this world. I can't think of anything smaller and more micro than my individual life. Can you think of anything more small and micro than yours? We know right now that God is deeply involved in the individuals. Maybe you're sitting right now here in this room in a chair. Don't forget that as you sit in a chair, you're actually sitting on a planet. And the planet sits in a solar system, which sits in a galaxy which sits in a universe. Yeah, we know that our solar system is big. It impresses us. 
until we're reminded that our sun is just one minor star out of 100 billion in our Milky Way galaxy. The Milky Way galaxy, it, it impresses us in the bigness of it. But if the Milky Way galaxy impresses us with the bigness of it, we need to be reminded that it's just the front porch of a cosmic mansion called God's great universe. Listen, our tendency is to see the, the size of the Milky Way and we picture in our mind this verse three that says that Jesus is sustaining it with the power of his word. And we picture in our mind Atlas, who has the world on his shoulders. And that must be like Jesus straining to hold this thing up. No, that's the best that the Greeks could come up with with their pagan Greek mythology. That Atlas was the God who somehow was bowed down under the weight of this world. That is not our Jesus. He looks at the smallness of the Milky Way galaxy and he's got it in his hand. He's sustaining it. Sustaining doesn't mean just holding. Sustaining is a verb in the Greek that means holding and carrying it along. As though God was using every star, every human, to move along according to his plan. Draw a big breath right now. Where'd that come from? Oh, I know we say it came from involuntary muscles that can't help themselves but breathe. Stop it. He sustained that. He created oxygen for you to draw into your bloodstream and give life and hopefully mental clarity this morning. He's the one who by his power of his word, and I don't even know what that word is. Maybe it was, let there be breath. And we breathed, carried along by the strength of his power. But our God is not just strong. Our Jesus is Good. Look at the rest of verse three. It says, after he provided purification for sins. Yes, he's strong enough to sustain everything in the universe by his word, and he is good enough to step into our sin-infected world and cleanse that sin. How good is he? Sin, in one word, is what's wrong with everything in your life and this world. And we introduced the infection of that deadly virus through our rebellion of this guy. He steps in and takes the virus onto himself and cleanses it with his blood on the cross. And after he paid for sin on the cross, he rose from the dead Work was accomplished by the Father. And then we move into the rest of verse three. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So after Jesus' resurrection, he ascended back to heaven. By the way, anybody know what last Thursday was? Yeah, I just heard someone say that. Ascension day. Ascension day, 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus, he ascends back to heaven, and what is he doing? The writer to Hebrews tells us he sat down. He sat down in majesty. We would call someone sitting in majesty on a throne. And Jesus rules all things 
And the reason he sits is because his work is accomplished. Sin has been purified and death has been conquered. Cross and resurrection, now seated on a throne, ruling and reigning over all. And now I need you to imagine you're Antonius. You are the poverty-stricken. You are the persecuted Christian. You are the one who walked into that house church wondering if any of this was worth it. Who knows, maybe Antonius just went because he was curious. Maybe he went because he was hungry and he knew that they would have a meal or in our community groups at least chips and cheese dip. But he hears this opening sentence come from Joseph, the elder's lips. And hope is inspired and rekindled in his heart. He knows that God historically has worked through his people through three offices. He's given three persons to relate to and to lead his people. He's given them a prophet whose job is to be a messenger of God. He's the one who speaks for God. He knows that God has given a priest whose job is to offer the sacrifices of God. He's to be the mediator with God. But, but Antonius also knows that God has always given a king. He's to be the one who rules and leads God's people. He is the monarch of God. And Antonius listens to this first sentence and his eyes pop open with alertness. And he sees Jesus as his full and final prophet, priest, and king. Verse two tells us God spoke fully and finally through Jesus Christ. And we will see that, that uh, verse three tells us that Jesus is the high priest we need most, who purified sins. And he is the king who leads us at the macro level and the micro level, carrying everything along by the power of his word. Hope ignites. And as Joseph finishes the closing of that first sentence, his voice rings with power and joy as he reads verse 4. So Jesus became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. That simply means there is no person, there is no place, there is no thing more magnificent than Jesus our Christ, which must be why idolatry is so offensive to him. When I place a person, place, or thing at the level that only he possesses, I betray my king, I dull my ears to my prophet, and I'm ungrateful for my priest. He is superior over all. So to the strong and the weak in Antonius' little house church of 20, 2,000 years ago, they open up Hebrews and realize Jesus is good and strong. His gospel is worth it. I must press on. And to the strong and weak in a little church called Fellowship Bible Church in Northwest Arkansas, we realize Jesus is good and strong. His gospel is worth it. We must press on. So how do we respond when God speaks with such clarity about his message and messenger Jesus? Well, first of all, when God speaks, we what? We listen. And if we listen with good, clear ears and see who Jesus really is, even a fraction of him, 
It causes our hearts to then respond, which we typically call worship. And so we will worship in the way that Jesus instructed his followers to worship. You see, before he went to the cross and then the resurrection and then the ascension, he gathered his followers together and he picked up bread and a cup. And he said, when you come together, I want you to eat and drink and I want you to remember me. He said, this bread will help you remember because this bread symbolizes that I have come in the flesh and that my body was broken for you. And this cup will remind you of my shed blood on the cross to purify your sin. As you prepare communion, would you hold the elements in your hands? And after we worship in song, Kyle will lead us to worshiping with the elements.
Oh
This is the body of Christ, broken for you. Church, would you take and eat? This is the blood of Jesus spilled for you. Church, would you take and drink? prepare to leave this place, I would love to read this benediction over you. It says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, present yourself before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Fellowship, thanks for coming this week. If you need prayer this morning, we have the Nervings in the prayer room. And if not, we'll see you next week. Thanks, Fellowship.